Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 21? And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 this morning. As we have seen, Christ was very busy in this, the last week of his physical earthly life before the crucifixion. This setting today is toward the end of the day on Wednesday before his crucifixion on Friday. What we're looking at is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. It's in Matthew 24 and 25. It's in Mark 13. And it's here in Luke 21. Luke's account is a little more of a summary than Matthew's account, which is the most exhaustive of the three. Wednesday night, Wednesday evening. Sunday, he was proclaimed as Messiah, you know, Hosanna and all that, palm leaves. Then from there, he goes into the temple and cleanses it because, as he said, they had made his father's house, which was to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. Turning the religious world of his day upside down, Judaism, he was striking at the power-hungry and wealthy Pharisees and Sadducees who and scribes who had become implanted as religious authorities, though most of their teachings came from extra-biblical sources which is one of the things Christ condemned. Having established themselves as religious authorities, they then became very wealthy because of the rules that they had established for people. And we saw that in uh, the widow's might and all, all of the things that Christ had been pointing out. So Christ has condemned Judaism and he has extended his last condemnation to the Pharisees and others, the religious leaders, the elders of Israel. And he's extended his last general invitation to people and his last general teaching. Everything now is Jesus and his 12 disciples. So having on the inside of the temple condemned the religious system, on the outside of the temple as they're walking, the disciples remark to Christ and say, Lord, look at this magnificent place, the temple. And it was in its day. Christ said, not one stone will be left on another. And he began to indicate to them that there was a great judgment to come upon the city of Jerusalem and Judaism and 
the nation of Israel has existed in that day. So let's put this in its perspective overall. Christ for three years has been teaching the people that we are saved by grace, that human works cannot save us. The pinnacle of human works religion was to be found in Judaism. To obey the law, to obey the mission, of the, to obey the extra biblical uh, directives, especially regarding the Sabbath, the laws of the Sabbath, which are not found in the Old Testament. So Christ has spent three years proving through miracles that he's the son of God, confirming the message that he has brought to them, but never denying the fact that he would then be finally betrayed and crucified. That was all part of his teaching. And he came into a, a religion where people were looking for the glorious Messiah. They were looking for the Christ that we think of as the second coming. They wanted to bypass all of the Old Testament prophecies about the suffering servant, the Messiah who finally would be killed. Christ was correcting this. Okay, so at this point, it seems that the disciples are beginning to question their own stubbornness about how Jesus ought to set himself up right there in Jerusalem as the king of kings and put down the Romans and establish the kingdom. And he had told them there's going to have to be a spiritual kingdom before there's a physical kingdom. We've been through all that. Christ having declared the end of Judaism then, essentially, his disciples have just asked the question, when are these things going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming? Now Jesus is answering that question here. We see three major parts and then we'll, this is well on down a few weeks down, God willing. But today, the first of three major parts to the answer, as Luke gives it, and then the conclusion of things after that on down in Luke 21. So today, the three parts are this, the times of the Gentiles, the times of the believing church, and the times of Israel. Those three things are paramount. You see, a foundational doctrine of the Christian faith is the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming again. It's my belief, and I, 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 don't, I don't claim to be any better or smarter or anything else than anybody else, but I will say this. I have spent most of the last, well... Long time, 44, 45 years, just studying the Bible. I've studied it historically, chronologically. I've studied it book by book, section by section. I've studied the Hebrew Bible in the Hebrew sections, the three major sections. I've studied the New Testament in, uh, according to the Johannine 
epistles and the Pauline epistles and all. I mean, I've, the, the, God, the synoptic God. I've studied the Bible about as many ways as a person can study it, I guess. Compelled from within to do so. And I didn't start out with a lot of the doctrinal persuasions that I have today. My convictions today, doctrinally, have come from the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit guiding me into the simple truth of Scripture. I finally got to where I thought, you know, I can't impose anything in the, uh, to the words. If the word says this, then that's what it is. There's no sense in me thinking about some traditional belief that I've always had or, or think, you know, well, this is metaphorical or whatever. There's no sense in doing that. Just take it straight. Now, having said all that, I didn't start out as a premillennial, pre-tribulational guy. That's where I've wound up because I believe that's how the whole Bible agrees to itself. One part cannot displace another part. They all agree. So I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And I believe that it can come at any moment. But I also believe that Christ has taught, especially in the Olivet Discourse, that there is, there are signs, there is a way to begin to recognize that, you know, you might ought to pay a little more attention now than, than you did before. And I think we're going to see some of this as we go through this teaching of Christ over the next few weeks. The first thing in the answer to the question of his disciples, when, what are the signs? The first answer is how Jesus answers, first of all, with how the nations will keep going. Okay, they've been expecting, now the Gentiles, that's just the nations that are not Israel, biblically speaking. A Gentile in the Bible is somebody who's not an Israelite, okay? So we're looking at the nations. We could say the times of the nations. The division of people grouped together in what we would call a nation. Usually and generally designated by ethnicity through history. And we live in a time that is called the time of the, the times of the nations, the times of the Gentiles. There is no Israelite kingdom. There is no theocracy. It's just the time of the times of the nations, the times of the Gentiles. So Christ gives a sweeping overview. And this is to help the disciples understand. You see, they still, even in the book of Acts, chapter 1, Christ says, you know, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all around the world, preach the gospel. And they say, well, is it this time that you're going to 
restore the kingdom? Is it at this time now? Are you finally going to? Christ said, you got to go all over the world first, man. They still struggle with this for a while. The disciples do. But Christ is correcting their thoughts that, okay, and this is to include what happens post-crucifixion, pre-ascension, post-ascension. If you look all the way through Acts chapter 1 and so forth, you'll see that the disciples are thinking, okay, he's going to die. He's going to be resurrected. That's going to fulfill prophecy. Then he's going to go up, but he's going to come right back down. That's what they were thinking. So Christ is correcting that. It's going to be a while. Don't think that I'm just going to go right up and come right back. This gospel, as we're going to see this later in this passage, this gospel is going to be preached all over the world according to the design, purpose, and will of the Father in heaven. And that's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take more time than you may think. To carry this gospel, first of all, to establish the church, and then the church filled with the Holy Spirit of God going out into all the world so that there are two witnesses everywhere the gospel is carried. There is the external witness of the one who proclaims it, and there is the internal witness of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is something that only the church can do according to the Christ of God. Who would send the spirit. So. Here is this portion of history. Called the times of the Gentiles. Jesus himself said in another. Well on down in Luke I think. But we're not there yet. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So there is a. There is a designed. Program from God Almighty called the times of the Gentiles. That's where we are. The time of the church, that's where we are. So Christ then gives this sweeping overview of the times of the Gentiles which precede his glorious coming. He, he can come for the church right now if he wants to. But the parousia of Christ, the appearance, the presence of Christ for his church is one thing. The glorious second coming of Christ is something else. It's interesting how the, the Bible portrays a world that falls into literal darkness just as Christ comes, it's almost like, it's almost like thick darkness of blackest night. And Christ comes with his saints and his angels. And nobody can doubt that it's Jesus, the son of God. Yes, Jesus said, beware. Some are going to come in my name. They're going to go here. They're going to go there. Don't listen to that mess. In other words, you won't mistake my coming again. It won't be a, you won't have to question it. You'll know. So then, what about the times of the Gentiles? What does Jesus say? Number one, 
he says there will be wars and anarchy in the world. Let's look at it. Then when you should hear of wars and anarchy, do not be terrified. You know, if we're not careful, we can look at the newspaper. We can see the riots. We can consider terrorism. Human bombs. Planes exploding in the air. Chemical weapons. Nuclear weapons. We can watch the news and I think it's their job to scare us to death. We can be terrified. And sometimes we project ourselves, okay, here's this bunch of people that all of a sudden show up and you got to be somewhere and then they're just blocking traffic. They're not going to let you by. And so you think, well, what would I do? I think I would have three or four options. But can you imagine how afraid people are when they're in the middle of that kind of stuff? And it's happening increasingly. And there is no signal from our so-called leaders that it's going to diminish. And the Bible speaks of this in other portions of Scripture, how this anarchy gets worse and it increases and becomes more dangerous such that in the book of the Revelation, when one of the seals is broken, it's every man for himself and every man against his brother. And there are two different Greek words used for sword. The common man draws one of those two words, a hromphia and makana. The, the two words, are one is an army sword. It's a sword of the military and the other is a common man's dagger. And they're both drawn. Christ says there will be wars and anarchy. But I'm coming again and I don't want you to be afraid of that kind of stuff. It is necessary for these things to take place first. But the end is not immediately appearing. I copied some stuff down. Up to the time of Christ, from the time of recorded history to the time of Christ, historians recorded about 70 wars. In the 1,000 years after Christ, about 50 wars. In the next 500 years, 100 wars. In the next 300 years, about 250 wars. In the last 200 years, more than 500 wars. And in the last four years, more than 20 wars in the world. 
So Christ is saying, I'm not coming right back and establishing this kingdom and putting down the Gentiles because there is a work to do among the Gentiles before I come again. So there are going to be wars and there's going to be anarchy. Anarchy. I got another one here, I think. Violent protests around the world. This was on Saturday, October 19th. Violent protests around the world. Protests around the world. The subtitle, protests around the world. Violent clashes hit Chile, Hong Kong, Lebanon, and Barcelona. I think that's the only one I had. So, this proves, number one, that Christ is God. And number two, that he knows the purpose of creation. Included in that purpose is the times of the Gentiles during which the church goes out into the world and they come to Christ from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation until the last one comes. And when the last one comes, the church is caught away. But it's necessary. The only thing that can comfort me about the unraveling of the world is this. My Lord said, number one, it would happen. And number two, it was necessary to happen before he comes again. So I'm looking at a necessary thing, biblically speaking. But the end is not immediately appearing. Wars and anarchy. On an increasing basis, lawlessness, it's called in another part of the scriptures. Paul calls it strong delusion. Included in it are the doctrines of demons. So then Christ continues. It also, the times of the Gentiles, will be a time of racial division, nationalism, and political upheaval. Let's look at it. Then he, said, he was saying to them, nation will rise up against nation. Now, the Greek word for nation, ethnos, ethnos, epethnos, nation. Against nation. Ethnos. We get our word ethnic, ethnicity, from that word. So, generally speaking, nations are established in history, historically speaking, nations are established by tribes and ethnicity. Christ is saying those divisions are going to continue to exist in the times of the Gentiles. And nation will rise against nation. But farther than that, 
kingdom against kingdom. Basileia. Epibasileian. Basileia, that's a, that's a sovereign power. Generally headed by a king. A sovereign power. Nation will rise against nation. Sovereign power against sovereign power. Only God could have known what would happen in the centuries yet to come when Christ was teaching his disciples seated on the Mount of Olives just this little group of men. Yeah, the Romans were, you know, they were everywhere. They would, and according to the according to the prophecy of Christ, which we know was forty years after that, the Romans would march in and just destroy and decimate Jerusalem, kill hundreds of thousands of Jews, and send them running from that place. The temple would be gone. The culture of the Jews, Judaism, everything, all of that would be gone. Their genealogy, which they were so proud of, was destroyed. Utterly wiping those people out, tearing that temple down stone by stone. Even though some of the stones were as big as the inside of this sanctuary. So, it would happen... And even though Rome stood as the supreme power of the world, it didn't matter. Christ essentially said there are other sovereign powers yet to come. And of course, any Bible believer would have known that from just looking at the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Rome would be the last one and then it would be divided into those nations which would be different from one another And it was during that time that Christ would come. The stone cut without hands would fly down and smash the feet and the whole temple, the times the Gentiles, would crumble. It it ends with the Antichrist. Spoiler alert. It's going to end with the Antichrist. And the last battle is at Armageddon. We've talked about that. Nation will rise against that. So it's just going to just keep going. There's going to be wars, man. Post-millennialists believe that since the coming of Christ, the church going out into the world will have such an impact that the world is just going to get better. So that someday we'll all be holding hands at the UN singing Kumbaya. And everybody would willingly surrender their guns, their missiles. And we would have a hug fest that would go around the world. Well, that's not going to happen. Premillennialists believe he's just going to get worse until Christ comes 
straightens it out. So then, he says here that there would be sovereign power, there would be political upheaval, there would be racial division, nationalism, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, all of the political maneuverings that go in. The scriptures are so wonderful, they just give this impactful statement that is brief and complete but when you look at it you know what has to go along with it and so the Gentiles would argue the Gentiles would fight the Gentiles would draw up alliances into sovereign powers Other Gentiles would draw up alliances and other sovereign powers and those two sovereign powers would clash. And anarchy and war. And it hasn't stopped, has it? It hasn't stopped. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, there is this prophecy And there is this little phrase in the Hebrew that references the latter days. Last final days. In the greater context of those two chapters, it's revealed that what is being spoken of includes a seven-year period. So... Ezekiel is is an interesting book. Ezekiel, the prophet, starts where he he is. The the Jews have been carried off by Babylon and they've been displaced, carried off into into, uh, captivity, into slavery. And they're they're confused because they've been kicked out of their own land that God promised them and they're 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 the people of God. But the prophets had taught Jeremiah specifically that they were in for judgment because of their sinful ways and they didn't pay any attention and so they were carried off. Now, Ezekiel begins to, well, he's commissioned by the Lord Christ. He saw this Merchba, this, this chariot throne coming from the north and it looked like a lightning storm until it got to him, held up by the four cherubim. Oh, they had these four faces and all these wings and it moved swiftly and it came right to him. He fell like a dead man and the Lord said, get up, I got a job for you to do. So the first thing that he does is he preaches to his own people what's happening. And the Lord transports him into the temple back in Jerusalem to show him. This was a time when they were still deporting the Jews and shows him how wicked the priesthood had become because in the tunnels beneath the temple, The priesthood, the Levitical priests were building and carving into the walls altars to false gods. And they were worshiping idolatry in the temple. And he saw God leave the building. You know, when Elvis left the building, it was time to go home, right? 
Well, it was all over for the Jews when God left that building. There was nothing there to stop the Babylonians. And so Ezekiel starts out preaching of the contemporary condition of things. And then he begins to preach God's judgment on the nations that had come against Israel. So he sort of talks about the things that were at that time and then the things that were occurring and would occur upon the nations. And then this carries him all the way through. And it goes chronologically, if you look at it carefully, it goes all the way through to the end of the book. And in the end of Ezekiel, you see the millennial temple and the name of Jerusalem is changed. The Lord is there. They changed the name. The temple is rebuilt in the millennial kingdom. So leading up to that was Ezekiel 36, along in there, 37. Bones begin to gather. Israel would be gathered again as a nation. But they would look like a man, but they weren't a man until the Spirit of God came into them. Someday Israel will be saved. The bones have been gathered. The flesh and muscle tissue have all been placed on that skeleton. It's just that the Spirit of God hasn't come to them yet. Won't be long, maybe. Then Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes a war in the absolute last days. The effects of that war would last seven years. And the war would include Magog, which is Russia. Everything I tell you comes from ethnology and philology, and it, it's, everybody has agreed for hundreds of years, this is, this is the map. You can see, I saw an old map one time, old map. In the area that we call Russia, it's called Magog, the Caucasus Mountains. It would also include a group called the Persians, which is Iran, and Gomer and Togama, which is Turkey. Then other bands of nations, smaller nations, join to encircle Israel and attack them because they want a spoil. The fourth largest economy in the world right now is Israel's economy. I just saw last week, this is on Fox News. In Israel, they just designed a surgery that does away with Parkinson's disease. Think about that. The things that they are creating and inventing and they're, the market of that place is exploding and then the gold and the stuff that's in that Dead Sea could bring remarkable wealth. The oil that's been, uh, the natural gas that's been discovered in Israel. The way that they've created and invented to extract it. These nations come to take a spoil because their economies ain't doing so good. So we're just going to take it from them. So what just happened? Turkey invades Syria, right? Let's see here. Turkey, this is Saturday, October 19th. Turkey president, <laughs> Turkey president, that's funny. 
Turkey President Erdogan. It looks like Erdogan. Erdogan calls for army of Islam to wage war against Israel. There are others here. I'm not going to read them. Some weeks ago, for the first time in history, Russia and Iran conducted a joint military exercise, war games. Now, Turkey is in Syria, where Iran and Russia are. None of those three guys are our buddies, right? Surrounding smaller nations. But here's the, here's the point. Miraculously, they are stopped. The Bible says five out of every six of them will die when they try to invade Israel. God says in that passage of Scripture, it apparently is a time when Israel is yet to be saved, the Spirit of God coming down. But they're a nation among nations, and, God, and that has to be in the latter days, right? And God said, I'm not doing this for your sake, Israel. I'm doing this for my holy name's sake, that the nations may know that I am God. We've drifted a long way in the contemporary world from taking God serious, even believing in him, laughing at those who believe in him. God has ways of making us understand. Well, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. Then Christ says there will be natural and man-made disasters, terrorizing events and celestial phenomena. Additionally, there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences, plagues in different or various places. There will be fearful sights or objects of terror and also great signs from heaven. I'll read you something here. I have a, I have a, uh, an app. It's an earthquake app. <laughs> I want to know if I'm ever in the middle of an earthquake. So my phone will beep, right? Yesterday, in the world, there were 47 earthquakes. So just before I came in here, I looked at today. Through 10 a.m. today, that's our time. It gives it in our time, central time. There have been 23 earthquakes, and I don't know, probably more since then. Now, how could anybody previous to this era of time even know that there was an earthquake somewhere else? Well, they couldn't know. Man-made disasters, famines, pestilence. I read an interesting article where we could still go a whole lot more people in the world and have more than enough food if we just did everything right. Yeah, that is funny. See, I think I... Uh, this was from, this was from th Thursday, October 17th. 
crop loss map shows reduction in food supply. Here's the subtitle. Crop loss map shows geoengineering is taking a massive toll on planet Earth's food supply. Geoengineering. From Wednesday, October 16th, due to the weather, Midwest farmers fear widespread crop failures and a record low harvest in 2019. Well, let me tell you something. In the times of the Gentiles, and Jesus said so, wars, anarchy, political upheaval, racial division, earthquakes, hunger, disease, everywhere. Things that would scare people to death if they weren't firmly planted in the word of God. Great signs from heaven. <laughs> oh, me. I've, I've read a Navy pilot, what, six weeks ago? UFO, aliens, saw it. I don't doubt he saw something, he or she. I, don't, I can't remember if it was a male or a female pilot. I don't, I, don't, I don't doubt that people see things because Jesus said they would. But all I can say is it's just for us to rejoice. You know, Jesus would say in another portion, Look up when you see when you begin to see these things come to pass. Look up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. Let me conclude it here. This is a generalized summary of what Christ said and what the apostle Paul said in 1st and 2nd Timothy and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. The generation that sees Israel reestablished as a nation, that was 1948, an increase of knowledge and travel, an abundance of false religions. I got another one here. I just can't help myself. These things jump out at me. You know, I don't have much of a life. So I have to look for bad stuff and thank God for it. This is from Thursday, October 17th. Thursday was a busy day. Death cult holds public ceremony in London. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't read it. I just thought, what did they do? Kill themselves or something? That's funny to me. Let's see. Thing, uh, sweet, Swedish citizens welcome microchips embedded in their hands. That was from Thursday, October 17th. The U.S. Supreme Court declines to hear the case of a public school teacher who required her students to recite the Islamic conversion prayer or risk a failing grade. That was from Wednesday. No, that was from Friday, October 18th. May I say, 
No generation has seen all these things together. An abundance of false religions, popular false teaching within the church, doctrines of demons is what Paul called it. The mockery of the doctrine of his return. Where is the promise of his coming? A significant standing off from the Christian faith, Paul prophesies it. Wars linked to anarchy, political upheaval, and ethnic unrest. We already saw that. Jesus is coming again. In my view, very soon. How foolish it would be to deny what we see in the world and what the Bible has said would happen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus. And in confessing sin, call on Him to save you. God will save you. The Bible gives us this promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that promise is first given in the Old Testament by Joel, who is the earliest of the writing prophets. As early as a man could read the scriptures, God gave that promise and it's quoted again more than once in the New Testament. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're here without Christ. Maybe you came here wondering about coming to Christ. You will know it if God calls you into his salvation. And I hope that you'll share that with me today. We stand up in a minute and sing. I want you to come and just tell me, Pastor Christ has called me into salvation. Let me pray with you and rejoice with you. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and to be a part of this congregation. We'll take care of all the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation as you see fit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing. You come as the Lord calls and speaks. Would you? You come.